0: Welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this program, you'll hear inspiring stories, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Now let's welcome our hosts, Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries, and Robert Walter, our New York Regional Director.
1: Shalom, friends, and welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program. So glad that you're joining us today. With me is Bobby Walter, who leads uh, the Chosen People work. Uh, in New York City, and uh, we're going to look at, really, look at the heart of Jesus for his own people. And, uh, you know, sometimes in Jewish academia, they understand the New Testament, believe it or not, as an anti-Semitic document. Mm-hmm. Isn't that true? hmm Yeah. And what have you heard are some of the reasons why... Jewish academia, and sometimes more religious Jews view it in that way. So some of the
2: things, Mitch, that, uh, that usually take place um, is taking certain passages or statements of Jesus or just statements from the New Testament that may sound anti-Semitic or harsh uh, you know, at face value, but uh, when you look at it in context... You know, it's really consistent with what we see in the Old Testament as well, with many of the prophets. So, for example, some things from the New Testament in Revelation, where you have the synagogue of Satan referred to, well, that, yeah. that has just been taken out of context and then broadly applied to all Jewish people of all time and viewed as like an anti-Semitic uh,
1: uh, verse. I, I think that a lot of the language, particularly the strong prophetic kind of language that is used by Jesus and Paul, especially. I think that if it was Isaiah saying it, most Jewish people would never call Isaiah an anti-Semite, right, right? Right, Yeah. It's just, it's the understanding that somehow the New Testament is not a Jewish document. And I think that we need to understand the Jewishness of the Gospels. And so when Jesus speaks even a harsh word about his own people, uh, he speaks, speaking as a Jewish prophet. Mm -hmm. And underlying all of this is the deep love that Jesus has for his own people and for his own identity as as a Jewish person. I don't Mm -hmm. think Jesus thought he was starting a new religion. I don't think Jesus ever for one moment thought that he was becoming a non-Jew. I mean, you can't read all that into the New Testament. And so, for example, in Luke 19 verses 41 through 48, uh, we read, "When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it." Mm-hmm. Now, someone could say, "Well, that was pretty judgmental," uh, but wow! I mean, if you read Second Chronicles, especially the last few chapters and the judgment that fell upon the Jewish people uh, because of not keeping the festivals, because of the uh, of the way they treated one another, which is, in the rabbinic literature, there's the belief that the Jewish people were transported to Babylon. I mean, that's a major Jewish tradition. And so, there's no doubt that uh, Jesus was weeping over Jerusalem uh, because Jerusalem was living a a life apart from God, for the most part. Not just the religious Jews, but but, uh, a lot of the citizens. Uh, And that was typical. I mean, Jewish people are sinners just like Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And so what was Jesus' response, though? He wept over the city of Jerusalem. Why? Well, very simply because he loved the city of Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. and he loved the people in the city of Jerusalem. And he would ultimately die for the people who were living in Jerusalem and outside of Jerusalem. And so, verse 45, Jesus entered the temple, began to drive out those who were selling saying, it's written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a robber's den. Again, you know, so people will read that very negatively and Mm -hmm. say, well, Jesus was being very harsh and judgmental to his own people. But remember, he just wept for Jerusalem. So you have to take both in stride. Right. But Jesus was very much like Isaiah or Jeremiah, who was a weeping prophet. What was Jeremiah weeping over? He was weeping over Israel's sin. And so, we have to understand that Jewish people might have a negative view of the New Testament, but I don't feel it's particularly justified, because I think we have to understand it uh, as a Jewish family battle. Yeah. And Isaiah was condemning his own people, not because he hated them, not because he was anti-Semitic, but because he loved his own people and wanted them to turn back to God. And I think the same is true with Jesus. Yeah.
2: And I, I think it's also important to add in, Mitch, that... Um, we have to resist the the temptation to take some of those harsh statements or rebukes or mentions of judgment from Jesus toward his people because it wasn't an, in, an in-house family discussion uh, we have to resist the temptation to take that and then apply it beyond his generation to all Jewish people who come and live after that particular generation why do we yeah. why do we have to be careful of that because yeah. Jesus was very particular. He said, this generation, a number of times when he's uh, delivering those rebukes, he delivers it specifically to his generation. Why? Because they were missing, you know, uh, and even by saying they were missing, you know, it was mostly the leadership, the the religious leaders in Israel at that time, they were missing the time of their visitation.
1: Right, exactly. So – Let's look at another passage which is just so critical to this discussion and that's in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 23 beginning at verse 37 mm-hmm. and uh, you know in every Bible you know you have uh, section titles that are not actually part of the of the Word of God and uh, they are when they're in the Psalms but they're not when they're in the in the gospels and so uh, here's what Jesus said and I think that we have to understand this is Jesus sort of at the end of his rope, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And this is the uh, sort of the end of his ministry where he's going to move quickly from here to the crucifixion. So, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Well, was that true? Well, you know, in, in a sense it was true. That was actually done of Isaiah, who um, uh, was sawed in half according to Jewish tradition, It's even implied in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, in the Hall of Heroes, Mm -hmm. uh, if you look carefully. So he says, how often I wanted to gather your children together. So there's his heart. The way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Now, here are allegedly the harsh words of judgment. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. The word house there, oikos in the Greek, bait in uh, the Hebrew, habayet, the house, was always a reference to the temple mm-hmm. and used in this way so it's a reference to the temple behold the temple your house is being left to you desolate for i say to you from now on you will not see me until you say Baruch haba blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord so number one there is a love shown
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, by jesus a longing for the repentance of the Jewish people, a broken heart on the part of the Savior. Secondly, there is clear judgment, and there are two judgments here, actually. One is the destruction of the temple, and the second one is that he will be leaving. You will not see me. And that sometimes is a harsher judgment than anything else, where Jesus says, "You you thought I was going to overcome the Romans and set up my throne, but you didn't receive me, so I'm leaving. That's pretty tough. So you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and that's hope. So we have his compassion, we have his judgment, but then we also have his hope, pointing to a future when God will be faithful to his promises and in some way or another provoke or cause even the repentance of the Jewish people who will cry out and Jesus will return. Right. Do
2: you you see it that way? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that also, Mitch, that pattern of the way that he delivered that message, first of all, like you said, it begins with his heart, but that pattern is uh, consistent with the prophets as well and what we see all throughout the Old Testament. So often when we read the prophets, they're sent by God to deliver this warning to Israel about the impending judgment that will come upon them if they don't repent, if they don't turn back to God and away from their sin. Uh, But then after the descriptions of the judgment and how horrible it's going to be, there's always a statement of hope. There's always a statement of promise from God that in the end, he will uh, regather Israel to the land. He will pour out his spiritual blessings uh, upon his people. And why? Because he is faithful, because he is God, because he promised it, and uh, he will bring it to pass.
1: Absolutely. And uh, that that is the pattern. And you see that all over. Um, In uh, Deuteronomy, you see the pattern where Moses, even in his first address to the Jewish people before they cross the Jordan, tells them that when they get in there, they're going to disobey God and they're going to be scattered, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know. But even throughout Deuteronomy, Moses also tells the Jewish people that the day will come in the end of days when they will repent and return. And so this message of tshuva, the Hebrew word repent, Turn away from your sins, but it's not enough to turn away from your sins. The word shuvah means to turn from your sins and turn to God. And that's exactly what Jesus, as a Jewish prophet, was doing all throughout the Gospels. That's what the prophets were doing all throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, throughout the Old Testament. The message to the Jewish people is, I love you. I long to gather you. I want the promises of God to happen for you. But you need to do teshuva, you need to repent. And that's the message that chosen people brings to our beloved Jewish people. Not one of harshness, not one of crass judgment, not even one of insensitivity, but one of truth and compassion, because the ultimate compassion comes from God, not from man. And so God wants the Jewish people to repent and to receive his blessings. But blessings only come through repentance and turning to God through Jesus the Messiah. Shalom, dear friends. This is Mitch Glazer again from Chosen People Ministries. I want to tell you about a new program that we have for outreach that every Christian can be involved in. If you love the Jewish people, then you're going to love this program because it's going to give you the opportunity to share directly with Jewish people who will be staying in your home. That's right. You will be the host because we have started a program called HostIsraelis.com. There's a cultural phenomenon in Israel. Young people go into the army and get out when they're usually about 22, sometimes a little younger, sometimes a little older. And after they get out of the army, they travel. And they love traveling to very different places all over the globe, from Latin America to Asia to North America. And so we started HostIsraelis.com. That's a website where you can go and find out more about how to host Israelis in your home. And it's wonderful because we have training. uh, We have opportunities for you to list your home. And I'm sure you'll find a lot of information available so that you can host an Israeli traveling through the United States and show them the love of Jesus uh, through the way you speak with them, through your hospitality. Uh, You might even feed them once in a while or help them see the sights around your home. You're going to have a wonderful opportunity to love on these Israeli young people through HostIsraelis.com.
2: Well, right now, we're going to hear from a very good friend of mine. He's actually the co-pastor of the congregation Beth Star Shalom Brooklyn, uh, along with me. His name is Dr. Rich Flashman. And uh, we're going to hear his story about how uh, he, before he came to faith in Jesus, he believed that the world's problems could be fixed through the government. But when he had this encounter with Yeshua, (laughs) yeah, it is a stretch. But when he had this encounter with Yeshua, he realized that Jesus was the only
0: cure for humanity's brokenness. Being the only son of a Jewish mother, uh, I was made to feel like I was the center of the universe. It was all about me. And then in the world when it wasn't about me, it was shocking to me. And and I wanted it to be about me. I sought the, the, the approval and the affirmation and the confirmation of these things from other people that in fact it was about me and that I was the center of the universe. I went to a private school and we had to study the life of Jesus uh, at that private school and I, I didn't like Jesus but I wanted to hear from my own rabbi why we don't believe in Jesus and he explained to me that he couldn't be the Messiah because when Messiah comes he'll bring peace and since Jesus has already come and there is no peace he could not be the Messiah and that satisfied me for about seven years. I was I was totally satisfied with that answer. It made sense to me. In college, I became a theoretical Marxist. I believed that uh, that what the world needed was radical social change. That instead of people competing against each other uh, in the marketplace, that government would come and and would create an equal playing field, and even more than that, create equal outcomes for everyone in the culture. If we could get rid of the competitiveness and and the and the, um, the adversarial relationship that I, that I saw in the, 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 the culture, and we could work towards cooperation, we could create a better world together. And I really wanted to make a better world. That was my, I, I saw this as, as a source of, of significance and purpose in my life, that I could help bring about a better world for, for uh, mankind. The only problem with my convictions uh, about change, social change and making a better world was the, was the problem of the brokenness in people. My own personal brokenness, I saw that. My own selfishness, my own pride, uh, my own lust, my own greed, all of those things in, in my life. And, and I saw that in other people. I saw it in the world around me. And if, if there was something wrong with us, if there was something wrong with people, then changing social systems wouldn't make any difference. It would just be the same thing over and over again. So in my freshman year of college, uh, I hear a knock on my door. I opened the door, and there's a young man there. He looks at me, he goes, Hi, my name's Paul, and I'd like, to come, I'd like to talk to you about establishing a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I thought, well, took me by surprise, and I said, I'm sorry, I'm Jewish. He goes, that's okay, so is he. I said, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I said, uh, come on in. So I invited him in the room, I invited some, some of my Jewish friends from down the hall to come join us, and then he began to explain to us why Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. So the questions that I came to college with stayed with me and I, and I realized if there was no God, there was no hope. Uh, that led me on a, on, on a quest, on a search. And in the process of that search, I came across the, the prophecy in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. And I remember reading it and thinking to myself, what's Jesus doing in my Bible? I was surprised as I read it that, that this was from the prophet Isaiah, the Jewish prophet. I said, what's Jesus doing in my Bible? And I began to think, why didn't the rabbi tell me about this? Why didn't he tell me that that there was a picture of Messiah uh, other than Messiah bringing peace, but a Messiah that was going to suffer and die for us? After college, in order to make extra money, I worked nights and weekends uh, for a kosher caterer in uh, in Boston. One night, uh, April 30th, 1980, uh, I was at Temple Sinai in Marblehead, Massachusetts. Uh, I was there for a donor dinner, serving a donor dinner. I was asked if I would pack up the truck so everybody else could go home and just I would be left. I said fine. So everybody else left. The the ladies had their fundraiser inside the shul and I was outside uh, with a cup of coffee and a cigarette and just thinking about life. All of a sudden inside the synagogue the women started praying. Uh, Their prayers began to remind me of my own searching, and my own struggle, my own uh, journey that I, that, I, that I was on. And I started thinking about uh, Jewish history and I started thinking about uh, David and I started thinking about Jesus. Is Jesus the Messiah? Is, is it really important who the Messiah is? Is, is Jesus uh, the Son of God? Is he, is, he, is he God? Did he ever say he was God? And couldn't he have just meant that he was close to God and intimate with God? And I said, what difference does that make with the name of God it's as long as we, we, we live a good life? And as I'm thinking these things, I'm walking around the temple parking lot, and I get to the, uh, the end of the parking lot, and I look up, and before me is a gathering of light, and the light forms a figure of a man, and the, and the man is, is all in light, and, 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 there was, and he was beh- he's in front of a cross, not on the cross, but in front of a cross, and it's all brightly illuminated in front of me, about 20 yards, about 20 yards away from me as big as life. And I looked up, and I saw the figure, and I said, oh my God, it's Jesus Christ. hands are shaking and I'm shaking my head on the way home, did I really see this, did I really see this and and it, it, it scared me so much I decided to, to try to put it out of my mind. So I spent the next couple of weeks just partying and, and uh, going out to bars and just trying to forget about what what had happened. And I did this for, for a couple of weeks uh, uh, of getting drunk and, and trying to forget. I woke up one morning, I was living at home at the time and and I woke up in the morning and, and uh, I was getting my orange juice in, in the kitchen and my mother looks at me and says, Rich, what are you running from? So I came to realize that I wasn't the center of the universe uh, that, that that God was, that it wasn't about me, it was about him. Uh, and it was about me investing my life and in, in, in his purposes that he had for me. And that gave me such a feeling of meaning and purpose in my life that it, w- it was beyond, Anything that I, I I could have I could have dreamt for, I never thought I'd get the answers. I never thought that that those were the kinds of things that there were answers to. But now I realize that that there's a God and that He loves me and that that love sets me free to love and serve others, to love and serve Him. Today I am uh, I'm married to my beautiful wife Michelle, who happens to be Italian. I thought it was more important. Uh, to, to marry a girl that shared my faith in, in Jesus than it was to marry a Jewish girl. Uh, we have three uh, wonderful boys uh, uh, Joshua 27, Micah 26, and Zach 23. They all uh, have come in their place in their life where they have uh, asked Jesus to be uh, their Messiah and Lord, and uh, they are walking with Him, and so we're very proud of them. I, presently, I'm teaching as, as a uh, professor in a graduate school in New York City and, uh, and really enjoy, delight in being able to share my experience and my journey in my life uh, with these young people uh, in the context of a learning environment.
1: Shalom, friends. This is Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries. There is a growing movement of the Holy Spirit among second-generation young adults And we have a great ministry to these folks. There are hundreds of them. There's a beautiful commercial center, two and a half times the size of what we have now that'll seat over 150 people. We have space for children's work. We have space for a cafe. And so pray over the center. We'd love to have you come on a chosen people trip. But I know that you'll want to be involved in one way or another to help the gospel go out in power to Israel.
0: To learn more about this new, exciting project, Visit ChosenPeople.com slash Tel Aviv Center. That's ChosenPeople.com slash Tel Aviv Center. Partner with us to bring the love of Yeshua to Israel today.
2: You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and
1: sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. Thank you so much for joining us today. And Bobby, just for listening, uh, we're going to send anyone who asks a free Messianic Jewish calendar, a free calendar designed to help us to remember to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It's important that we do this because God actually rewards us for praying for the peace of Jerusalem. I know maybe some of you are purists and you don't want to do something just for the possibility of receiving some kind of reward from God. But brothers and sisters, it's God's will that we be rewarded for being obedient. And that's the way God operates in this world. So the Hebrew word for prosper, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, they will prosper who loves thee. Prosper here really means finding peace and quiet of soul. It's not the word that, a word that has anything to do with money or property. And by praying for Jerusalem's peace— We can personally enjoy the comfort and tranquility of soul that Jerusalem will enjoy corporately through the Messiah, Jesus. You know, Genesis 12 gives us another promise. When God says, I'll bless those who bless you, Jewish people in Israel, and curse those who curse you. And through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So when we pray for Jerusalem, when we pray for the Jewish people, we find ourselves blessed as well. So be sure to connect with us today and ask for your free calendar when you visit chosenpeople.com radio. You can also
2: get more information and join the team when you give us a call at 888-293-7482. That's 888-2-YESHUA, the Hebrew name for Jesus. And when you reach out today, be sure to ask for your free 2023-2024 calendar that will help you pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you for connecting with us. And now let's wrap up today's program with the ironic Benediction.